This is Geek Punk. A Google Media Production. Hello there, and welcome to Planetary Union Network, the Orville Fan Podcast. I'm Dan Taylor, and with me are co-host Joe Quickle. How you doing, Joe? Good, Dan. How are you? Good. And Michael May. Hello, hello. Hey, Michael. And uh, we have yet another guest joining us this time, and that would be David A. Goodman, executive producer and writer on the show, The Orville. How are you, David? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, first off, let's cover a little Star Trek. Okay. You got a new book dropping on this Tuesday, correct? Oh my God, I thought this is the Planetary Union podcast. You want to see Star Trek? All right, all right. I want to make sure you sell a couple copies. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's the autobiography of Jean Luc Picard. Uh, you may not be aware, Jean Luc Picard was a captain of the Enterprise on. Star Trek: The Next Generation. I mean, this is a Planetary Union podcast, so I don't know if you know any Star Trek. <laughs> my my mind's completely blown now. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I had written a couple of years ago the autobiography of James C. Kirk, and that was a success for the publisher, and so they contracted me for uh, this book, and um, I finished it. It's coming out, yeah, next week. Yeah. Now, the the last time we talked was on our old podcast, our Star Trek. Star Wars podcast, we talked about the oh. um, autobiography of James T. Kirk. And that was a great read, so I want to recommend this new, that not only that book, the autobiography of James T. Kirk, but I've already got my copy ordered of autobiography of John Luke Picard. I'm looking forward to it. Real quick, though, does a refitted USS Obama make an appearance in this? <laughs> no, you know, that that did, putting dropping the name Obama, did we talk about it on the podcast? I'm sorry. We did, yeah. Yeah, because there were people who were upset, you know, Republicans <laughs> were upset. How dare he name a starship after Obama? And it's like, I didn't read the book. I, like, said it was behind, it was, it was over budget and behind schedule. Like, I was doing a joke that I thought would appeal to both sides. But, of course, just putting the word Obama in a book was upsetting to them. Um, uh, there is no Obama in this book. I, You know, this book is a... Don't tell me there's a Trump. There's no Trump either, you know. I, I I I think I finished it before he was elected, so that was. But um, uh, you know, it, it's a you know, it's a it's it's similar in some ways to the Kirk book, but it's very different too because, you know, Picard, his life, we really know very little about his life, and he lived a lot of it before he became captain of the Enterprise. I mean, like an almost twenty year difference between Picard's age when he when we're introduced to him as Captain of the Enterprise in Kirk's age, when we're, we were introduced to him as Captain of the Enterprise. So filling that in, filling the year, 20 years on the Stargazer, but then also how, you know, uh, how he meets, uh, you know, Jack Crusher and Beverly, and and then uh, really filling in his home life, I mean, was, was uh, harder. It was harder for me because I really was starting from scratch, and I had to do some research about how to make wine because he was, uh-huh. He's on his winery, and I didn't want to bore people with how to make wine, but I also felt like 
he wanted some details about what what that experience is. Um, and uh, but I but I don't spend too much time on that. And to me, you know, I, and then how he meets Guinan, it's like they 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 left that up to me. You know, that's not any where that's never been uh, explained in anywhere in in the film entertainment. She she hints at it a couple of times that you never find out. So I had to figure that out. Um, a lot of other things like that. Um, uh, and I had a lot of fun figuring that stuff out, you know, and I hope the fans like it. So are, are you going to be, do you have to get through Cisco, Janeway, Archer, and Lorca before you do the autobiography of Ed Mercer? Oh, well, again, Ed Mercer is not a character in Star Trek, so I just want to point that out. There's <laughs> <laughs> any lawyers that might be listening. I, uh, the, um, no, I was contracted for this book and one more. And, okay. And the next book is Spock. Oh, very cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. nice. So that, you know, and we, we went back and forth as to who should go first. I originally thought Spock should go first, but then I thought, well, this is the 30th anniversary of uh, Next Gen, so let's do Picard first. Uh, and, you know, it, it, I, I hope the fans like it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a book. The Kirk book, I felt like there are more fan, there are more people who watch start the original Star Trek who are not um, diehard Star Trek fans who could have read that book. This book, uh, you really, I think, you need to be some not steeped in Next Generation, but you have to have been an aggressive fan of Next Generation, I think, to to like this book. Or somebody who's watch, you watch most of the episodes, some more than once, I think, helps with this book because. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe you you know a uh, a casual knowledge will. All right. Well, I got I got a question. From anybody who watched two episodes of Next Generation and read my book and liked it, please tell me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do think that if you have the autobiography of Jean Luc Picard on the cover, and you don't know who Jean Luc Picard is, you're probably not going to buy it. So. Yeah. so how far <laughs> into his life does it go? Like where where's kind of the the end? Well, you know, I I I take. Uh, anything that was filmed as kind of canon, you know, okay. as, you know. So for me, even all good things which people have said may not be canon, I take as canon. So for me, uh, I don't go up to the events of that episode. I stop short of that, but I do sort of, you know, it's no surprise. I, I you know, I, I like that that movie, that that movie, that that episode. Uh, said that Picard and Beverly would get married, so I take that as canon. So yeah. at some point, I take you know I take it post Enterprise um, uh, E, uh, you know, uh, and up through, um, and I like you know I like that alternate universe in um, uh, what's the name of the episode uh, where where Riker wakes up and he thinks he's in the future, futures. Uh, uh, you know which one I'm talking about. I don't know. I've never seen the show. God damn it, this is an Orville podcast. <laughs> anyway, I like the, the idea of Picard becoming an, an ambassador. Uh, so I use that. Um, you know, so, but I take him, he's into his 90s. Like that. I don't, I don't well, take him, I don't take him to death. I don't, he does not die at the end of this book. Uh, so, um, but I take him into his 90s. Very cool. All right, so let's get into Mercer. There's there's already hinted enough material, I think, for a, a good little autobiography on him with uh, 
early yeah, days of know, planetary I mean, union. I, I don't think we're going to be writing books until we have got at least the second or third season. So I, just... <laughs> I mean, we all want to hear about the misadventures he's had with Gordon Malloy. Um, yeah, no, I, I think a, like a flashback episode would be a blast at some point in the future, getting to see those guys younger and uh, or or you know you know the sci-fi maybe an alternate universe episode or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what we would do, but I I'd love to see them in a different. Uh, situation from their past. Like the episode where they have mullets and mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now, when I first, first heard... Yeah, when I first heard about the Orville, um, and we were talking about this before we started recording, you know, I knew I wanted... Okay, I want to do a podcast on this show. It sounds like it's right in my wheelhouse. It sounds like my kind of stuff. Were you uh, right? I, I was. I mean, I... I Thank God for just the amount of effort I put into putting this podcast together before I even saw frame one. I know. Who would have thought that <laughs> it's so lucky you didn't do a wasted podcast? Cause exactly. <laughs> you and the first person to do a wasted podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Dad uh, has trashed the podcast that uh, he had. Never mind. <laughs> I did. Um, then. I contacted you way back then, just since we had, had since I'd had you on a podcast before that, um, saying, "Okay, I assume you're going to be part of the show," and you coyly hinted, "Yeah, you're going to be part of the show." Um, how did how and when did Seth approach you about the idea of the Orville, or was it something you guys had been kicking around for quite a while, working on other things? Well, Seth, you know, yeah, well, Seth and I have been like sci-fi fans. You know, it's sort of I think that was actually the the tipping point for him hiring me on Family Guy. It was between me and another writer and uh, and in the job interview it came up that I was a Star Trek fan and, and I'm partially convinced that that was the tipping point because I know the other writer, he's very good too. And so I'm like, what was probably the tipping point in the job interview was Seth's a giant Star Trek fan and so am I. And so then, you know, so we've always shared sci-fi as an interest. Um, but then, you know, probably uh, last year, I think, right in March of last year, um, uh, you know, chatting and, you know, he, he's talking about this idea that he, uh, about doing this. And it's, it's ideas that he and I have talked about for years. And I'm like, you know, go for it. This, is, this sounds great. And it's like, yeah, all right, I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Maybe. You know, and we'd heard about, you know, Star Trek coming back, and I think he was a little worried about, you know, well, you don't want to, but but it seemed like, it seemed a given that that, that Star Trek, the Brian, because Brian Fuller was doing it, would be dark, uh, and Seth likes a lighter touch, and so I encouraged him, yeah, go, and that's March, and then April he calls and says, yeah, I wrote that script, and uh, I gave it to Fox, and they picked it up for 13. So that's, that literally was, that's actually the literal time frame of when he was noodling the idea and then writes the script and then sells it. And then that script he wrote was pretty close to what you saw in the pilot. I mean, it's, uh, he, you know, he got it pretty close right out of the gate. He's been passionate about this kind of show for a long time. And I think when he just decided, you know what, this is where I'm going to put my energy, it all just came out. And uh, beautifully, I think. I love that pilot. Yeah, his passion oh, yeah. for it absolutely shows, and it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, no, I read it. I was just like, "This is awesome." Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of you know the story, and then 
you know, he's a unique guy because he commands so much uh, respect uh, from the studio and the network, and obviously he's made them so much money uh, that I think, you know, they really got behind this thing. I mean, this is not a show that anybody else could have gotten through the process. Uh, You know, networks and studios, there's a reason they're not doing shows like this. It's like, this isn't really what they see is you know this isn't stuff that gets through the process and it get and it got through it because you know they trust Seth they're like okay you say you want to do this this is great let's go and they were hugely supportive I mean you know you hear all sorts of stories uh, I'm sure from writers about network interference and, and notes and you know I this process was just a dream they were so supportive and so on board with what he wanted to do that was great yeah i mean i think that the show lends itself to where it's best left untouched by the networks you know with interference wise it's yes i mean it, it's familiar in the fact that it uses tropes and such from um star trek and it's i think wrongly been accused of being a parody being a spoof um well, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, you you know, the, the the network did give notes, and and Seth did take them. That's the other sort of piece of it is is that they were coming from a place of support, so that they could there were there were notes, and they were like, you know, uh, so when I'm saying supportive, the notes were additive. The notes were, uh, and that was the the great process because it came from a place of of trust. They were like. We see what you want to do here. Would it be better to do it this way? And and you know when when they were right, he listened to them. So it was like a, a really great process. Can you give an example of that? Like when they were right and a change uh, that was made. No, it, now it's sort of like it's all lost to. Uh, um, I can't. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. My foggy, foggy middle aged brain. It was all that wine research. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I guess it's just more of, you know, not necessarily Fox Network, but I've, I've just heard other stories. You know, I've known, I know a lot of writers, and and I hear all sorts of nightmare stories about the network not getting it, not not getting the show, and sort of not, no, you know, that the notes are the notes undermine the core of the show, and that's just not what happened here. It's like every everybody had their oars in the same direction but it started with a guy seth who again commands a lot of respect and 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 also had a very strong vision and knew when when he wanted to say no to whatever it is that he did or didn't want to do so now with your history of you know comedy writing and work on the family guy and and your work on enterprise and your love for star trek this has got to be the dream gig right for you I mean, as a fan. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely is. I mean, it's not. You know, you you get you you don't get you you don't get a job like this uh, ever. I mean, there are people like. And again, I, I've had I've been again I've been very lucky in terms of the kinds of things that I've gotten to work on. I'm Family Guy and Futurama and Enterprise and and. Uh, don't and gloss over. Don't gloss over Golden Girls. And Golden Girls, you know, very very. <laughs> lucky this sort of wide swath of my <laughs> career of the, the people I've gotten to work with and the shows that I've gotten to write for uh, this however really kind of 
is a is just kind of a dream uh, that we're we're doing the show and it gets we get to do comedy in the show, which I really enjoy doing. We can really, you know, I mean, Brandon, who hired me on Star Trek Enterprise, you know, the reason he hired me was they wanted to try to make that show funnier uh, and. and you know, and that the, the 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 unique politics of that show just didn't allow it. Uh, that show was never going to do things that were actually comic. And here we really can. We really can like be funny, which is like, but never break the dramatic storytelling. I, I love it. I love this job. We've talked about how comedy plays a role in the Orville, and when it comes down to it, it you know the it's been categorized as a dramedy, but it's very, it's very much a, a sci-fi old school drama with comedy elements in it that we feel that make it, make it more human, make it more down to earth than say, you know, the other star treks or shows of that nature. I agree. It was starting with a character, Ed Mercer, who right from the get go is being told, look, you're not our first choice. Um, so he's got, He's got something to prove uh, as a captain. He's, you know, he, he's he's good at the job, but there are moments of insecurity. There are moments of annoyance. He gets pissed. He's got his ex-wife there. Um, you've got Gordon, you know, brilliantly played by Scott Grimes, who can, you know, uh, you can believe that Gordon is both stupid and an excellent pilot. Like, that's... That character's written, and then and and Seth wrote it for Scott, and uh, and that brings that brings a, a a bit of comedy to life that 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 actor can can walk that line of you know, and so that there's a way in which um, we all know we all work with people who are you know both stupid and competent. you've all worked with people like that that's why scotty's performance is just so great because it's like yeah i I know idiots like that but they're also good at their job like they don't get fired you know that you know and 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 jay jay lee you know playing playing john is like he's just bringing kind of a naturalness to that and then you know everybody halston penny uh and then adrian who's just like you know just such an amazing actress add such emotional depth but also plays comedy and plays annoyance and so the the comedy is coming from this interaction of the characters and their reactions to things so you know it's really important to us as we're writing the show that we never break the drama that that whatever comedy we're doing doesn't undermine the dramatic element now speaking of uh, the character interactions um are there any plans on bringing back everyone's favorite ogre uh, you know, you're not going to see him in the first season, but we love that guy. And, uh, uh, you know, in hopes for a second season, I think. We had, Justin was our very first uh, guest. Yeah, Patrick's uh, oh, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't want to make a promise I can't keep, but we <laughs> love him, and we would love to figure out a way to bring him back. Has shooting wrapped up on all 13 episodes yet? Yeah, we're finished. Uh, we're still in post-production on on uh, actually every episode, there's so there's so many effects and such that we're the shows are pr- pretty much uh, finished within a week of when they air. So it's, uh, wow. it's tough. It's a tough schedule. It's a it's pretty uh, you know complex show. Uh, hopefully, again in the second season, we would 
we would enter into it. Uh, so that this wouldn't be the case. But a lot of doing a complex show like this is is, is very tough. But we're but, but it's getting done, and I think it's looking pretty good. And getting done well, yes. Yeah. Um, now let's let's talk about the specific episode that aired last night, The Krill. Uh, this other than being executive producer in the series, The Krill is the episode that you wrote. Yes. Was this an idea that you came in going, hey, this is what I want to do with this episode? Or was it, no, David, you know, we need you to do this for this episode? No, no, no. Um, I'm sorry. No, I don't want to. I mean, you're in a writer's room starting. At, Seth wrote the first three episodes pretty much without, well, the first two episodes he wrote pretty much without any help from the rest of us. Then episode three, uh, you know, he talked uh, with me and with Brandon about the story. And then starting with episode four, uh, well, actually, uh, you, the numbers are different because we, we, but in any event, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost in numbers. Anyway, first couple episodes, Seth, without any help from us, then it got in the writer's room, we started breaking the stories together. And so even the episodes that he wrote, he worked out the stories with us, although obviously it's Seth's show and you're doing it, you know, you're doing what, um, you know, it's it's his vision and you're, we're all trying to fulfill his vision and then uh we got we done we we broken four or five episodes and we talked about the krill and all i said was hey maybe it's time for a real krill episode and i think it was seth who pitched honestly uh gordon and ed undercover on a krill ship um i think i actually don't remember anymore it might have been me i don't know we but that's what i'm saying is like there's no way to know whose initial idea was i we we decided it's time to do a krill episode and then we worked out the story together uh, in the writer's room. So that's me and Brandon and Liz Heldens uh, and Cherry Chevaprava-Dumrung, who came from Family Guy, and Wellesley Wild and Andre Bormanis. So it's this mix of comedy and drama people in that writer's room. And we, you know, we sort of laid out the story together again with, with really Seth making the hard decisions about where, where he wanted the story to go, what he liked and didn't like. And um, and then I went off and I, I wrote the script. I'm going to somehow figure out how to sneak into that room next season. Yeah, um, good luck. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's a it's a process, you know. And then I wrote the the draft, and um, you know, and I figured out some stuff that we didn't figure out the room. I had to definitely figure out some story stuff that that as I'm writing, I'm sort of realizing, oh, we didn't figure this out let's figure this out i gotta figure this out and i did and 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 seth you know liked it very much but he also took a a pass on the script himself he 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 rewrote you know every script himself um and uh you know that 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 was the process this is really uh nobody's really writing a completely on their own you're you're working it out together with the staff which it's a much better way to work. It's yeah, I pick. I picture that you guys wasted a whole day just trying to figure out what Bordas could eat in that opening scene. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun scene. <laughs> no, uh, we, uh, you know, and I don't even. I think, uh, yeah, and that might have been Seth's pitch actually. The idea that he could eat anything. I don't know. We were, yeah, we were throwing ideas around, you know, and that's sort of uh, uh, again, so sort of the fun fun part of the job is figuring out what's a what's a fun opening scene that isn't necessarily story driven, but that is tells us something about our characters and stuff. And now this episode, and similar in about a girl, which was a great episode as well, deals with some heavy subject matter. I mean, as far as you know, children and war goes. Well, it still comes off as a fun 
comedy in the fa- in the along the lines of Crosby and Hope, Abbott and Costello, Pryor and Wilder. Yeah, no, the Crosby Hope thing is definitely something that is a is a Seth reference. I mean, that's definitely the kind of comedy he really likes. That idea of you know the guys who sort of talk, you know, when you got everybody else around them is completely serious, but they're they're they have their own sort of language with each other that the audience is enjoying. And uh, that that's definitely a piece of it. But, you know, that this was also, like, really wanting to illustrate the krill, like, uh, illustrate this idea. Uh, you know, that, again, it's a, it's a subject for Seth, is, is uh, religious fanaticism. And, you know, and, and there, you know, it's interesting, because I was reading on a website today that, Somebody saying, "Oh, the krill are Muslim," and it's like, "No, they're not. They're not. <laughs> we're not. We're not saying anything about the Muslims. We're saying we're talking about religious fanaticism. We're like, we're they're, they're you know, you can all through history, you can talk, you can pick any religion, and there were there were fanatics who did things that were not good in the name of religion, you know, and that's what we're talking about. So, are the krill more Klingon or Cardassian? All right, take it easy. <laughs> um midnight special by credence clearwater revival um that mercer and malloy are singing when they're heading off to their adventure right. when they're on the road so to speak to the krill ship is that a nod to the Ackroyd brooks opening scene from twilight zone or was it foreshadowing that the light's going to shine down on the krill no it was uh it was definitely a nod seth seth put that in it was a definitely a nod to the to he loves that opening of Twilight Zone movie and uh, so that definitely a little, a little bit of a nod to that. He's fr- he's also good friends with Dan Aykroyd, so. but uh, but he definitely and he's actually friendly with Albert Brooks too. So, but he was he's uh, he it, he loves that opening. Yeah, it's cla- I mean, whenever I'm in the car with my brother, we're one of us is bound to say you want to see something really scary. Yeah, the other piece of it though is too that Scott is a, a very accomplished singer. He just. He was just on the road with Russell Crowe, which is just amazing. But I mean, he's he's a he's a singer in his real life. So, as you know, as as is Seth, and actually, uh, Jay Lee is a very accomplished musician as well. We've got to figure out some way. We we haven't figured it out yet. We've got to figure out some way to get them. Get them so there there will be a musical episode. There will not be a musical episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think you just answered a lot of people's questions with that. I don't. I don't understand why everybody feels they have to do a musical episode. I am so over that. Yeah, I think yeah. the Buffy one was like, you know, the last one that needed to be done. Uh, uh, <laughs> although I guess uh, if you're a fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, they do it every week. But. Uh, but a collective sigh of relief, I believe, on, on our end. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I loved the Brett Easton Ellis line. I mean, Lesson Zero was my... And Kana in high school, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That again, also, I think that was a, that was. Well, I don't know if that was in my draft or not. I, I, it's funny. It all gets sort of so long ago. I wrote that script last year. Uh, like that's the other sort of weird thing about this process is we wrote those scripts starting in June of 2016 uh, is when the writers' room convened, and then we were we were pretty much done breaking our stories by September or October. And I wrote, I think I wrote the Krill draft in last July, July of 2016. So it's over a year ago. So I don't remember 
what was in my draft and what was in sets. Uh, but I think that that the uh, I'm pretty sure the Brett Easton Ellis joke was was his. Yeah, having read American Psycho and Imperial Bedrooms, which I think was even more fucked up than American Psycho, I I, I have a definite idea of what the Krill are like now. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that was a helpful joke. <laughs> um, also, nice callback to the last episode, Prey, when Mal- Malloy gets stabbed in the leg and gripes that it's a brand now, new leg. That line that was ad- we added that in production, like that oh. wasn't in the script because the the order of the episodes when we wrote them was wasn't um, you know wasn't uh, confirmed. So, and I think that the Priya episode might not have originally been, I think was originally, what was written actually after the Krill episode was, but then we decided to put it, we had to put it in that slot because of Charlize's availability. Um, we had a certain time when we could get Charlize to act on the show, so we moved uh, one, uh, that show ahead of Krill in the schedule, and then when we were in production, and he's getting stabbed in the leg. Uh, I think actually it might have been the producer Jason Clark who pitched not the, the actual line, but this like, hey, that's that's his new leg. And then we were pitching on that joke, and and so that was added while we were filming, which is uh, which is uh, and it's I love that joke. I love yeah, it. that that yeah. joke killed me. That was just great. Yeah, it's a real payoff for people who've been watching the show every week. I, mean, I I appreciate the fact that the episodes are mostly episodic. Yes. Um, but I do love those little callbacks to sort right. of. No, you know. it's a payoff for your dedication as a viewer, which, you know, is a, it's something they used to do like on um, really in, in extreme ways, not in any way that we're going to do it. But uh, if you guys ever watched the show, Stand Elsewhere, they would always be oh, yes. little things in there that were just things you would only get if you were just a an avid watcher and just love that i love that payoff for the audience for the audience who watches every week that doesn't get in the way of a new watcher so you're saying the orville takes place in tommy's little snow globe too yeah okay <laughs> yes that's what i was saying no it's not. <laughs> like dan likes to keep asking questions about you know are we going to see the hamster again in future episodes and um <laughs> That kind of stuff. Hey, I'm curious. I, I got the feeling at the end of this episode, like we are not done with this. With, with, I mean, it could almost be a two-parter. But um, like, I'm just wondering, are there already plans to kind of come back and, and revisit that teacher that they meet? And um, well, I mean, I I don't like to give too much away. I mean, we're definitely coming back to this stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, the question is when. Uh, so, you know, and some of it might be this season, some of it might be next season. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not done, you know, the Krill are going to be playing a role in this series. Um, but we definitely also are looking at making sure we don't repeat ourselves. And so the next time we see the Krill, um, you know, as a, as an adversary, it's going to be it's going to be something we've got to find a a fresh way to approach it because this episode really uh you know explored them in a certain kind of way so so yes we're not done with the krill uh but what we do with it again i I don't like giving stuff away but we want to make sure that it's interesting so one thing i picked up on and i I, i'm hoping i got it in kind of the right direction but um 
the uh, the the personal cloaking devices that Ed and Gordon used was that yeah. um, did Isaac reverse engineer the Caliban cloaking technology? That was I think mentioned in dialogue. What was it not or not was it not? Oh, you know what it was. It was mentioned in dialogue in I think that I think when Ed holds it up, he he mentions it. Yeah, he got it from Maybe. Isaac. That's what he said. Yeah, from Isaac. Yes, so that's from. That is from the cloaking technology we used in, in the second episode to disguise the ship, which he had gotten from the Calabon. So, yeah, that's the implication. And have Avis's lawyers contacted you yet? <laughs> we have not heard anything. But that, you know, again, that's an interesting thing, too, is that, um, you know, we had the Avis stuff in the script, and then we would do these punch-up rooms uh, for... Uh, all our episodes so we the scripts were done and then before they went into production we went through all the scripts and brought in some comedy guys uh uh aaron lee and julia sharp who are two comedy guys who worked on family guy and they and they helped me and seth and wells and uh and cherry punch up the scripts and um so the whole all the avis callbacks like uh the goal you got you know he's got the gold membership going right to his car and <laughs> and avis we try harder and uh um there was one more oh hertz they have a yeah oh hertz was hertz, <laughs> yeah, was hertz is the, the earth god hertz, hertz was in the script but the, all those other callbacks happened during the punch-up sessions we were just howling while we were <laughs> doing that punch-up session uh you know just the, all the all those great avis callbacks i mean um I think it was Aaron Lee who pitched Avis. We try harder, which is just yeah. That was that worked <laughs> perfect in that scene. What a, what a great <laughs> job! Jesus Christ! Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's the other sort of piece of it too. Is that you know, unlike drama shows, we do you know we do sort of a staff punch up just to add when we can jokes that can help the show, but we don't. You know, Seth's really kind of strict about like we're not going to add jokes that can in any way undermine the dramatic tension. So we don't want to get too silly. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally enjoying all of the, uh, the pop culture references, or modern-day pop culture references. Yeah, no, well, you know, it's interesting, you know, people, I've, I've read some stuff, I'm reading, I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trolling the internet looking for what people are saying, and um, I see some fans, like some serious sci-fi fans really not liking the pop culture references, but I feel like those those references really aren't for the sci-fi fans necessarily. They're for the general audience. That's like that gives like, you know, a teenager who who gets the joke, uh, you know, a way into this world and, and helps make the Orville kind of like a gateway drug to uh, science fiction, which is what Star Trek was for me, and so I feel like it. it, it the, the comedy and those references really are are value added in terms of reaching out to a general audience. No, yeah, those jokes are for my wife, so we could watch the show together. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a couple that watches the Orville together stays together. I have my I have an older sister who keeps still calling to tell me how much you know she loves the show. You know, I've written on twenty television shows. This is the first one where she. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because of those jokes. She loves those jokes. You know, keeps her interested. So. Yeah, my wife and I are are very much enjoying watching it together too. 
Yeah, I am such a fan of the show, David, that yesterday I ordered my custom vanity license plates. And? And, and I got Orville. Holy shit. Yep. Wow. Wow. Hardcore. Good. Yeah, I, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So what state is that? California. California? Mm-hmm. You live in Los Angeles? I'm down in Newport Beach. Oh. Well, so so the, see, um, I couldn't come up and hang out in the writer's room. Now I know if I see Orville, I know it's Carl looking at, but that's very cool. That yeah. really cool. <laughs> and I think a tattoo's next, so I, yeah. I'm enjoying the show. You know, it was funny. I, I, um, my favorite f- private license plate was uh, LeVar Burton's, who uh, had Kunta as his like. <laughs> nice. I'm like, well, that, I mean, it doesn't matter. You got shaded windows. You put Kunta on your license plate. They're going to know who it is. I guess they, <laughs> I guess they, it's John Amos. But anyway, nobody you're listening to is going to get all those things I just said. Roots was a show where LeVar. <laughs> I know they're trying to find the Star Trek Next Generation reference to that. Going, huh? What? He played a character named Kunta Kinte. That was his breakthrough role. Made him a star. But then he went on to. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so. Coolest bit of uh orville cosplay you saw at new york you know i only saw i saw i to me i was just shocked to see two people in in orville uniforms that that i didn't see any i didn't see any other cosplay i was just shocked that with five episodes on the air yeah. somebody had already made uniforms and so that to me was really cool as that's cool yeah that that you know that was the thing about new york comic-con i think i was saying to you guys just seeing that already people are dedicated fans of the show is extremely satisfying uh, to be working on this thing and have people already loving it. Uh, you know, we we were very scared. I mean, the critical response before the show came out was really negative. Yeah, and they, the the critics really went after it, and uh, and so yep. that was before we aired. And you start to think, oh, it, are people going to watch? You know, are people going to like it? Uh, Do you have any theories, David, about why that is? Like, why the critics went after it like that? I, you know, I, I, I think Seth is, uh, I, you know, I don't know why. I don't know. I can't explain it. Yeah. But Seth is unfairly treated by the critics. I mean, it's just not fair. They're not fair to him at all. They don't judge his work. They judge, you know, uh, I remember reading reviews of, of his Western and the opening paragraphs more on more than one was talked about him hosting the Oscars. And I'm like, why? All right, judge, judge the movie. Okay, you don't like the movie, fine. But why are you talking about the Oscars? Um, and I love them hosting the Oscars. So you know, it's such a weird thing. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't relate. <laughs> I obviously I owe a lot to Seth, uh, just for many reasons. But but I also am a fan. I think the guy's super talented. I think he does great work. So I don't even get that. Like I don't even get why people didn't like him doing the Oscars. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. So, <laughs> So I don't know. I, 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 I don't understand it. I, there's just ways in which I don't understand it. The guy cracks me up, and I love his work. And But critics, you know, I don't think critics are fair to him at all. And it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's bad. And they, and they end up looking bad because the audience likes this show. Right. right. Yeah, the, the um, just chasm between the critic rating and the audience uh, score is just, it's telling. It's crazy, and it's also like, okay, critics, then do you look at this and say, do you do any kind of self-reflection and say, okay, 
why is my why why do the audience why does the audience love the show and I didn't? And so, and do you just look down on the audience and say they're stupid, or do you say you're not connecting to what what an audience likes and what's good about this show? Uh, that that's you know. But anyway, I could go on. But. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't done my homework, but I'm curious to like read some of those early reviews and then and see if any of those shows or those outlets are still kind of covering the show and if they've changed their mind as it's gone on. Because you know, it's upset I, me. I was I, I'm a big fan of the website io9. Do you guys look at that website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whoever they have reviewing the show, you know, she just hates it. And I'm like, all right, well, you're free to hate it. I, you know, but also I feel like. I want, you know, I, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's good. I understand that. But I also want an, I want people, I, I also want, like, a fairness. Like, and there's a way in which, like, you know, let, let's be fair. Like, what, what set, instead of a review that says, okay, I thought this was terrible, how about a review that says, um, this is why I think people are liking this show. Like, <laughs> like, like, and it's interesting because again, we get no love on any of the sci-fi websites. We don't get any love at IO9. Ain't it cool news? Just trashed us and ignored us. And I think ain't it cool news? The people who, who still read that Orville's a show that they would like. You know, you know. So it's like that—that's that, um, that's upsetting to me because I feel like, and again, they're free to hate it. So maybe they just hate it. Uh, but but it's also like there's a lot of people liking this. Well, we're doing our part to get to spread the gospel of the overall. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going very well. That's good. That's great. I'm glad you guys are doing this. It's, a, it's really nice. Again, I, I remember when Dan got the the name. It just seemed, wow, already somebody's going to do a podcast. <laughs> like, a whole year before the show was going to be on the air. And, uh, like, well, wow. luckily, it all worked out. And um, so, David, we'll have you on for next season, right? Oh, you bet. Whenever you want. Okay, super. We appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us, and uh, we're all loving the Orville, and uh, we loved last night's episode, and we're looking forward to seeing more of it. Well, great. I'm gonna keep watching, and and, and thanks for all your thanks to all your listeners who are hopefully enjoying it. So, all right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, David. Bye, bye. All right, so that was David A. Goodman. Um, yeah, Michael and I have talked to him before, Joe. Great guy, huh? Very great guy. And um, so we'll definitely have him on again because there. I mean, there's no way in hell that there's not going to be season two, right? I mean, I almost wanted to press him more, like about when. When do you expect we'll hear? <laughs> yeah. But I also didn't want to do that whole, you know, jinx it thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. I, I think I read a statistic that it's. Um, Currently, Fox's number two show of the fall season. Oh, wow. Nice. So, I mean, you know, the ratings are slipping a little bit, but they're still high enough to be Fox's number two show of the season. Yeah, I think the last episode just went up a curly short hair's width a little bit, so it's not going down anymore. But would you guys, now that that, um, we don't have David online anymore... Let's be brutally honest and just fucking rip into his episode. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was so terrible. It was fantastic. <laughs> I did enjoy it. I, I always get a little bit nervous when people, uh, when religion becomes the topic. Um, just, 
because it's very easy to, I, I think religion is a very complicated topic and it's not always dealt with, uh, in a complicated way. Um, it's going to polarize some people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as, as David said, you know, the episode is really about fundamentalism, um, within religion, regardless of the particular kind of religion, uh, you know, the specific brand of religion that, that you want to talk about. There are always jerks <laughs> who want to, uh, you know, take advantage and manipulate it and, and use it, um, to gain power. And, um, so I was, I always think that's interesting. And, and like I said, you know, when I asked him, my question is like, I, I really don't feel like this is a finished topic. Um, there's certainly room for them to kind of continue exploring that, um, through the krill. So I'm eager to see where it goes. The, the seriousness there. I mean, that, that got pretty dark. Like we were talking about, you know, like I said, that Brett Easton Alice comment. Did you guys, you guys read American psycho or just see the movie? I Neither. just saw the movie. The movie the is that the book is messed up. I mean, imagine reading how he kills all those people and the way Brett Easton Ellis writes, he, he'll write three, four pages about how the ax is cutting into the guy's body. <laughs> it's um, like a George R. R. Martin level of description. Yeah. And then there's a <laughs> book called Imperial Bedrooms, which was like Easton's latest one. And I, I mean, it was messed up stuff. We're talking, we're talking about knocking someone's teeth out and fucking their face type of stuff. And so that when he, that Brett Easton Ellis line gave me a perfect idea of how brutal and how nasty that the krill can be. So I love it. Not, I don't love the, you know, well, I'm not some psychopath. Don't get me wrong there. Sure, <laughs> uh, what, what I mean is I, <laughs> um, I'm intrigued even more about how, how awful and horrible that these krill are and what's going to happen to them. And like you said, Michael, how it kind of left in a good classic kind of cliffhanger, like we're not done yet. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the coin, I thought it played great as a hope type road picture or, or even to use, you know, the similarities of the family guy when Stewie and Brian go off on their road trips, yeah. which I think are the best episodes of family guy, but they usually break into musical and David and Goodman said there will be no musical episodes. So, yeah. And, and I wasn't kidding when I said that answered a lot of people's questions. I've seen so many Twitter posts and people talking about it on Reddit and trying to like, will there ever be a, a musical episode? Because, you know, they've got both Seth and, and Scott that do this and like, well, nope, we're not. So you heard it here first, folks. We are not having a musical episode of the Orville. I'm totally on board with them forming a band though. <laughs> Just uh, playing with Lamar playing in the lounge yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, like a garage band type, uh, thing, or maybe when they use the environmental simulating deck. Yeah. They use the environmental karaoke night at the, yeah. In the lounge. Oh, I, I bet you there will be a karaoke episode. Well, you know, (laughs) David said that there won't be a musical episode. That doesn't mean they won't throw in musical performances in it. I mean, we just saw one. Right. 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 Well, he, he said that, you know, because those guys all sing, like they're looking for ways to 
figure out how to make you know do that on the show just but yeah but who who wants a, a full musical episode so was this episode good enough for you guys to um sustain us through next week because we don't have a fresh new episode of the orville no we don't well, what are we going to do are we got to pop on and talk about star trek discovery for no we're not going to do that <laughs> psych no i'm, uh, I'm going to work on more guests too but <laughs> so hey on, on the episode did anybody else think that they should have just grabbed the uh Ankana and ran <laughs> I, I i kept expecting it <laughs> maybe it was maybe it was uh bolted down uh, maybe <laughs> magnets. It was magnets. It's a heavy book. It looked big and heavy. So that actually the um, <laughs> the the uh, in the in the uh, in their chapel scene, uh, the first time they get caught, and he just like flips the book closed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like nothing going on here. Yeah, um, I expected them to steal it, but that I mean that totally would have started a war. Uh, had they. Had they done that, like their their plan was a better plan, just to copy it and get out. So I like how we know that they have a uh, there's a susceptibility now to sunlight. And so when they when when they mention the helmets and stuff, I'm like, okay, they open their helmets, but I guess they were inside. Yeah, they were inside when they opened their helmets. Did they have open helmets on the outside when they were shooting? No, I need to go back and look. I don't think they did. Maybe well, maybe they did when they ran out the door. Yeah, not to, not to uh, you know, be one of those nitpicking fans, but we got to look into that now. Again, we're not no new episode airing on Fox next week. Um, what do we have the week after that? Right, I guess we'll yeah, have a fresh I, new episode then. Yeah. So yeah, the Orville skipping a uh, week and returning on October twenty sixth. Uh, episode seven is ma- called Majority Rule, and. Um, Basic synopsis is, Kelly leads a team to find two missing Union anthropologists on a planet similar to 21st century Earth. So I would expect plenty of 21st century pop culture references. <laughs> or maybe um, not. Uh, maybe they'll throw a, throw a curve. Uh, the old, let's go back in time or to a, to a culture similar to back in time so we don't have to do expensive alien sets. Right, yeah. Trick. Um, no, that's uh, we'll see. Let's see how it plays out. I mean, with the references that we've seen so much that they use for twentieth and twenty first century when they're in that actually kind of environment, how it plays out. We didn't actually have a clip from anything in this episode, did we? We didn't have a a, a video clip, but I mean, they did play Midnight Special. True. Okay. And they yeah, about that Elvis. was. <laughs> so. Yeah, there was no 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 TV or movie watching in this last episode. So let's wrap things up then. I think uh, Mr. Goodman gave us a quality episode. Um, in fact, last week's episode was also quality. We're currently the number one Orville podcast on iTunes. Now, that can change quickly, so by the time this pops up, um, the other guys <laughs> might pass us by, so we're not, we're not uh, you know, putting our chest out too far and pounding it. And, and speaking of iTunes, we did just run a sort of little contest sweepstakes where if you left a review for us, we um, are going to choose one person, give them a season pass uh, for the Orville on iTunes, and um, so they can watch it whenever they want via iTunes. So we'll have we'll announce who won that next episode that we're on. 
But again, please, if you do listen to us on iTunes, leave us a good ranking, leave us a good review. The best way for us to get more ears to listen to our episode and to spread the gospel of the Orville, like we told uh, David Goodman, is if people see, hey, what's this Orville, what's this uh, podcast in my, you know, coming up on my uh, iTunes page? What's this Planetary Union um, network? I'll check it out. So the more people that see it, the more people will learn about how awesome the Orville is. And we'll get closer to getting that second, third, fourth, fifth, maybe seven seasons in a movie. Yes. Um, and what yeah. else we got there, Joe? Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually still confirming the time on this, but it's, 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 I believe it's safe enough to go ahead and say that, uh, um, our episode seven guest is uh, going to be composer Bruce Broughton, and um, like really, he Bruce is seriously one of the most respected composers uh, working in film, and he's also who's responsible for the Orville score. Cool. And uh, I've also, we've also got more guests uh, scheduled, and also confirming with some more that I can't name yet. But uh, you know, always follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And we will announce those as we can. Yes, and we love making those announcements. So on Twitter, we are at planetary underscore union. And on Facebook, it's planetary union network. And if you're not following us on Twitter or Facebook yet, do so. We do appreciate it. I think we're about 500 uh, folks on each one. Um, And we love our community. And thank you very much. Any closing words from you, Michael or Joe? Something, nope. something arborists. <laughs> Hug that donkey. <laughs> and as a ghetto copter flies over my house, good night.